It's a big night. This sets the tone, we hope, for the entire year and beyond. I usually know or have a good idea of the theme pretty early on in the previous year. This year, the Lord didn't release it to me until fairly late. It made me pretty nervous. I had several that I was looking at and praying about and went with none of them. To be like Jesus, claiming the promises of God. But tonight, I'd like you to see the theme for 2023. Rise up and build. To rise up, to elevate, to build, to edify. Rise up and build. We struggled with a course. And for that reason, we don't have one. We have something better. We have a verse. And so rather than singing a course, and there's no wrong in that, and I'm sure we'll do it again in the future, but rather than singing a course as a church, we're going to get really familiar with a specific part of this verse. And that verse is Nehemiah 2, verse 18. Nehemiah is speaking, he says, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had said unto me. And this is the part that we'll be saying together. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. I wonder if you'd say that with me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Father, would you help us now as we look to this very important message? Would you help me to handle it rightly? Speak to our hearts tonight. Thank you for what you're already doing. And I pray that it would deepen and broaden and strengthen. And in all of this, may Jesus be lifted up. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Would you join me in Nehemiah chapter 2 tonight? Nehemiah chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse number 11. Nehemiah chapter 2. Verse number 11, Nehemiah is speaking here. He says, so I came to Jerusalem, verse 11, and was there three days. And I rose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. That resonates with me. Because there's certain things the Lord's been talking to me about. I waited a long time to tell you. There's still some stuff I haven't told you about. That makes you feel any better. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. Verse 13. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, into the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. That word viewed is an interesting word. It, it, it has the idea of a close 
almost medical examination. A probing of a wound is what it was often used for. He took a close look at what needed to be done, and that's something that, that I've been doing. It's taking a close, prayerful look at what needs to be done. He said, I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let's build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, and they said, not Nehemiah, they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And that's the theme tonight, rise up and build. Nehemiah is the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, who's the sovereign of the empire of Persia. And after hearing a report of the state of his homeland, and the gates of Jerusalem in particular, and after much prayer and fasting, he approaches his king and is ultimately granted the freedom and the resources to lead an expedition to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the walls. In chapter 2, he arrives and begins to survey the area. Eventually, he finds himself alone with God as he assesses the situation. By the way, friend, let me tell you something. You'll never get a vision for anything if you don't spend some time alone with God. I don't know what God said to Nehemiah specifically. But I know when he approaches the rulers and the Jewish elders and those that are with him in verse 17, we see a man in Nehemiah that is locked in on his mission. He is clear in his objective and what needs to be done. Now, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be fellows like Sanballat and Tobiah and people like that that are going to actively try to thwart the work of God. There's going to be circumstances and situations that are going to slow the work down, or at least attempt to. And I hope you know that anytime we try to do something great for God, or anything for God for that matter, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be issues. There's going to be problems. We might as well expect that. We might as well know that's coming. The devil wants to thwart anything that we want to do for God's glory, but greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We need not be afraid of that. Just be aware of it. Just be aware of it. But in addition to, the, in, in, in addition to these resistances and challenges, there's old rubble that needs to be cleared away before new construction can begin. As I've worked through this, I've found some old rubble in my life that was in the way of progress. That I've had to ask God to ask me to help me to clear away. Perhaps you'll find that too in this process. Some old rubble that once represented something great, but now needs to be moved out of the way. That's a tough thing. It's not easy. 
But once it's done, and the wall is built, it's done so in just 52 days. 52 days. That is an amazing rate of progress. Particularly when you consider that many of the builders were not professionals. God doesn't need professionals. He just needs people that are available and willing and faithful. 52 days. But I'm especially interested in the response of those men around him in verse number 18. Nehemiah begins with the goodness of God, and that's where we need to begin. God has been good to us. Some of you have been here maybe all the way back to 1958 when a church was planted originally called Fellowship Bible Church. Later on it was changed, not very long after that it was changed to Fellowship Baptist Church. Some of you were at least acquainted with the, the old building where the meetings first took place and then the property purchased here. Some of you were in these, this original building, which my understanding is was this one right here, is that correct? I think so. And then the auditorium is built. And then in 1973, we have the school. And some of you have seen all of that. And all of us would have to say, no matter how long we've been here, that God has been good. And God has shown himself strong. During the pandemic, there were some churches that didn't make it. Not only did we make it by God's grace, we thrived. I'm not saying that we had money just flowing out of everywhere, but I'll tell you, we weren't lacking. And God's people stepped up, and people stayed faithful, and God was good. We serve a good God, a strong God, an able God, a faithful God. And if we're going to do anything, we've got to understand that right off the bat, all of it is going to come from God. I'm so thankful that the choir sang, only God. Because if anything good's going to happen now or any time, other time, it will be because of God. Every good gift cometh down from the Father of lights, James told us. Everything we have that's positive, we have because God is a good God. So he reminds them of the goodness of God and then tells them of the words of Artaxerxes. And their response is one that I pray we will adopt tonight and going forward. Well, in light of all that, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. That's an interesting phrase, strengthened their hands. It means that they corporately built up whatever inner enthusiasm they needed and gathered what they would need outwardly for the project. They strengthened their hands. Can I give you a couple of thoughts to consider before we move into the the meat of the message? Warren Wiersbe made a good point. I want to make sure and give him credit because if you don't like this point, it's his fault. It's interesting that in Nehemiah, you see a man who was part of the people of God. He was a Jew, but he wasn't from Jerusalem. God brought in an outsider. And one of the things that my wife will tell you that I've struggled with over the last 12 years 
as many times I felt like an outsider. Now, that's not your fault. You've been nothing but kind and welcoming and, and your family to me. It's not your fault. That's something I, I, I've struggled with. What a wonderful place Southwest Virginia is, and Appalachian culture is an amazing thing. But I confess to you, I don't understand it sometimes. Any more than you would understand my citified background in the Richmond area. It's different. For one thing, I've needed to really study your language. And I feel very different sometimes. All of you just have basic knowledge of things that's common to this area, and then when you ask me about it, I have no idea what you're talking about. But it's not just that. There's a certain certain tone that fundamentalism can have, a certain way that things have been done in the past, and I've never really felt part of that either. I realize that your last at least three pastors didn't grow up here either. So that's not what makes me different. And I don't mean this to be a slam on them or, or to lift me up. I hope you don't take it that way. But I think we, we have to be honest and say that my approach has been a bit different than some others. They're not wrong and I'm not right. It's just different. And I've struggled with that. I've said, Crystal, I'm different. And yet she wisely reminds me, then God must intend something to be different. And the fact is, if you look at the people that are there when Nehemiah arrives, these are good people. Ezra is a good man. And God used him. And they'd gotten the temple built. Praise the Lord. They had attempted to build the walls and couldn't get it done. And there were a lot of reasons for that. And I don't think you you assign fault to that or blame but it just hadn't been done. And it would have been very easy for these people to say, well, we've tried it before, it didn't work, so leave it alone. We've done okay so far. Could it be that God brings people in, and I'm not just talking about me. My soul, Brother Davies, is different than all of us. I mean, he's from Pennsylvania. My goodness. And then don't get me started on how different that one is. <laughs> and yeah, just like Nehemiah, we're all part of the people of God. And God has brought us all here, not just the three of us. All of us are here for a mission. Something needs to be done. And he has assembled us, as we see in Esther, for such a time as this. I'm out of excuses. I've got a full staff. COVID is on the run. I'm out of excuses. And so are we all. We're all out of excuses. There's a lot of things that haven't been done yet that should have been done. And I take that fully upon myself. So what do you do when you fail, Andy? You get up and try again. And we just keep trying. And we just keep moving forward. 
it is going to take, another thing to consider, it's going to take all of us working together. This is not the time for people to take the posture of, well, I did my time, finished my course. Good luck, y'all. We need everybody. You're not too old, you're not too young. We need everybody. Number three, Nehemiah said, I told them of the hand of my God, which is good upon me. And they said, so they strengthened their hands for this good work. We must see what we're doing as good work. In fact, let's take it a step further. We must see it as it is, God's work. Their commitment to rise up and build gives us our two main points. Number one, rise up, elevate. Elevate. We live in a culture, and this is not just here. We're seeing it all across our nation. We live in a culture of getting by and good enough. Some areas don't even get that far. Getting by and good enough. But Christians, we must be consumed with elevating for the cause of Christ. Good enough is never good enough. Never. Good enough is never Good enough. Anything that is not growing is dying. If I'm not growing as a Christian, there is no standing still. I'm either moving forward or moving backward. Anything that is not elevating is but lagging behind. So in what areas do we need to elevate? In what areas do we need to rise up? Number one. Personal expectation. I want to ask you a question that I'm, I'm having to ask myself and work through myself. I hope you understand that when I say you, 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 I don't come at this from a point of, of moral authority. I need work, y'all, and I know it. But I want to ask you a question. What do you expect out of yourself? Where do you draw your line of expectation? Because I tell you what's easy. It's easy to say, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. Something happened when I'd been here three and a half years. No, I'd been here a year and a half. I'd been here a year and a half, and at the time something happened, you may not have realized, I became an above-average pastor. At that time, the average stay of a pastor in the evangelical church was three years. So, at a year and a half, I was on my way, and then at three years, I was officially above average in that respect. I'll tell you what would be easy. Twelve years is well beyond average. I mean, I stayed. <laughs> Not that I had anywhere to go. I want you to think that I'm constantly getting calls of, 
churches or anything. Well, we've all been faithful, so we're good right where we are. No. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I upward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I am where I am physically because I don't have a good enough expectation for myself. Man, I'd love to blame it on somebody else. I really would. I'd love for somebody to tell me it's all my mom and dad's fault. But the fact is, I am where I am because I didn't take care of myself. And the things that I'm fighting now and working through now are my fault. And as I look in the mirror, both physically and spiritually, I have to ask myself that question. What do I expect of myself? What do I expect of my role as a husband and a father, my role as a pastor? It's time to elevate. And Christian, listen to me. It's time to look in the mirror, honestly assess your personal expectation, and by God's grace, purpose to elevate. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about that. Paul talks about keeping his body under subjection. He talks about what he's doing to help himself be a better Christian. My soul, if Paul if Paul wasn't prepared to sit down and say, I'm good enough, certainly we shouldn't. I'm not talking about unrealistic expectations, and I'm not talking about living outside of the grace of God and earning God's favor and earning God's merit. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about being the best Christian you can be. Something else we need to think about. We need to elevate in the matter of ministry health. Now, what do I mean by that? I want you to ask a question of yourself right now. I'll give you a second, a moment of quiet to think about it. How high do you think this church, Fellowship Baptist Church, can go for God's glory? And once you've determined that, what role are you willing to play in it? I'll read the question again, and then we're going to ponder it. How high do you think this church can go for God's glory? And what role are you willing to play in it? Well, sometimes little churches can't do but so much. My Bible tells me that Jesus said the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against this church. And by the way, that statement is not defensive, it's offensive. Remember, gates might swing, but they don't move. So if you're against the gates of hell, it's because you invaded hell, not hell invaded you. And he makes no distinctions between big local churches and little local churches. Acts chapter 17, verse 8. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying. Now, this is a group of Christians. We could call that a church, couldn't we? This is what it says. These that have turned the world upside down. We're talking about a handful of people. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. If a handful of people can do it in Acts, a church of 120 to 150, depending on the day. Can we not turn Whiffle upside down? 
So we need to elevate. We need to rise up in the matter of our personal, our personal expectation, in the matter of our ministry health. And then number three, our God confidence. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? Here's another question you need to ponder. How big is your God? And how much can he do? Now, we don't have to wrestle with how much he will do. I'm just asking you to evaluate how much he can do. Can I give you a spoiler? Jeremiah 32, 27, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? We don't always know what he will do, but we must never lose sight of what he can do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Well, we'd do good to go back to our children's church theology, wouldn't we? My four-year-old son has a better understanding of God than some people that have been saved 50 years. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the valleys are his, the stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, There's nothing my God cannot do. Do you believe that? Then why is it when we run into something, we don't go to him first? I'm guilty of it. I hit a snag and I try to figure out how to fix it. When nothing works, then I go to God. (laughs) How elevated is your God confidence right now? You don't have to have a lot of confidence in me. But never let a day go by that you don't have confidence in God. Because he's earned it. God confidence. We are called upon, hear me now, Fellowship Baptist Church. It is time for us, if we've not already done so, to elevate our thinking to think higher than we've thought in the past. And it starts with me. And and, and we must accept nothing less than God's best for us. Rise up. And then number two, build. Elevate, edify. Once we have the resolve to elevate where we are in life and in our thinking, then we begin the work of building. It's important to understand something. We've got to have the right attitude before we're going to get any altitude. So we've got to elevate our thinking. And then once we've done that, then we begin to have the tools to edify and to build. That's what edify means, to build up. So what areas are we seeking to build upon in 2023? 
Four, number one, personal construction. I am challenging everyone in this room, everyone watching online, everyone who will ever hear this message. I am challenging you, just as I'm challenging myself, to build myself personally. This doesn't have anything to do with meeting with the pastor. It doesn't have anything to do with your Sunday school class. It doesn't have anything to do with your wife or your husband. It has everything to do with your personal walk with God. Personal construction. You ought to be in God's Word every day. I'm not telling you how much to read. I'm not telling you even how to read. I'm not telling you what Bible plan to use. But the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt have... For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, then thou shalt have good success. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You have no hope of building anything of substance in your life apart from the word of God. Your emotions won't do it. Your feelings won't do it. Music won't do it. All the church organizational groups won't do it. Only through the word of God are we going to see any real building for his glory. Personal construction begins in the Word of God. And then, how's our prayer life? Have you talked to him today? Once again, I'm not telling you that you've got to go John Wesley and and be three hours in your prayer time. But he deserves some time. I don't know how many of you know Harold Vaughn. Harold Vaughn leads a lot of prayer advances. He put a post up on social media. He has purchased a little shed, you know, one of these prefab sheds. And he has, he has put it in his backyard facing an open field. It has one window, and that's in the door, and he has two things in that shed. He has a heater, <laughs> good thing, and he has a chair. And that that little building is for one purpose, getting alone with God. Now, I'm not saying all of us have to go buy a building. But every one of us has to have some mechanism in our lives that we can get alone with God. It may be literally a closet like Jesus mentioned in the book of Matthew. For me, it's it's, it's sometimes sensory deprivation. Sometimes I'll put my earbuds in, and I'll just play white noise. I can't hear anything. I'll cover myself with a blanket because I'm so easily distracted. What are you willing to do to get alone with God? Well, I'd look silly. So what? So what? I'm going to tell you something. If you walk in here, and I'm kneeling at that chair, and I'm covered up with a blanket, and you say, that's so silly. You can say what you want, but God's in there with me. And my soul, if the God of the universe wants to meet with you, why would we not keep that appointment? Talk about personal construction. How's your witness to others? Prayer life, go pray without ceasing, our witness to others. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Listen, I'll be candid with you. I'm not nearly so concerned with whether or not you show up for Tuesday night visitation or Saturday door-to-door, whatever else we set up this year. If I just want to know that when you're out in this world, everybody you meet, you see as a soul that's either going to heaven or hell, and you take a personal responsibility to make sure they know how to go to heaven. If you never show up for an organized visitation, but you're out there telling people how to be saved, that's all I can ask for. 
Because witnessing is not an activity. It's a lifestyle, and it's an identity. How about your personal holiness? Be holy, for I am, I am holy. And for years and years and years, we were told, well, that's all about how you dress. That's, that's all about how you look and how you act. And, and yeah, there's some elements of, of that that are true. But I've known people that they check off all the boxes of nearly being Amish. And their attitude just stinks. That's not holiness. That's not holiness. Holiness is seeing God for who he is and striving to be like him. How are you in your holiness? So we're going to focus on building our personal construction And it's going to be a hobby horse for me. I'm going to get in your business. How are you doing on your Bible reading? How are you doing on your prayer time? How are you doing on your witness to others? How are you doing on personal holiness? Let me add one that's not here. It grieves me. And I know some people are sick and some people are working. But it grieves me. The keynote service of this, of this year. And there's folks that are home for no good reason. Let me tell you something. Some personal construction is in order. Because God intends us to be here as much as we can. Again, don't hit me after the service. Well, you know, my, my loved one's sick. My loved one's, That's between y'all and God. I, I'm not getting into that. But you know as well as I do. There's folks at home watching the game. Personal construction. Number two, you think that's the worst part, but it's not. Family construction. How are we doing building our families? Now, much of this falls on the father, but any parent needs to be listening closely. As a parent, how are we doing opting for best over good. I don't want what is spiritually good for my children. I am striving for what is spiritually best for my children. And sometimes that means saying no. And sometimes that means depriving them of things that aren't necessarily bad, but it's not helping them be best. But here's why a lot of parents don't do that, because we're not willing to deprive ourselves either. I mean, if I start cracking on my kid about what they're watching, then I'd have to evaluate what I'm watching. How about family altar time? Read Deuteronomy 6 and find out what God thinks about whose responsibility it is to teach our children the Word of God. It's a hint here. It's not mine. Parents, it's yours. Now, we're here to help. The church and the Christian school exist to help with that. But as a father, if my children don't understand and know the things from the Word of God that they need to successfully navigate this life, that is my fault. But you know why we don't teach our kids the Bible and we 
pass it off on Sunday school teachers and Christian school teachers and WANA workers and whoever else, Master Club workers. Here's why. Because then we'd have to put forth the effort of learning the Word of God ourselves. It's time to build our families. How about consistent examples? We've talked about this in our Sunday school class. And this just... It just flies all over me. Until your child is old enough to understand the things of God, hey, Dad, you're the only God they know. They will form their views of God based on what they see in their dad. And I'm sorry to tell you that sometimes my kids have seen a God who is inconsistent and easily angered, uninformed, Inattentive, God forgive me. What should they see? They should see a dad who exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. They should see a dad who exhibits holiness consistently. Because it's our job to build our families. It's time to lead our kids. Not push them. Lead them. The statistics are staggering. If dad goes to church, there's a much, much higher probability of the rest of the family being active in church. And each time you take somebody out of that equation, you take dad out and it cuts in half. You take mom out and it cuts in half again. It's time to lead. We're to build. We're to edify personal construction, family construction. And now let's talk a little bit about ministry construction. I want to give you six things that I'm laser focused on for this year. Well, Andy, we've heard these before. Some of them. What happened? I can give you the... Long, drawn-out version, I can give you the easy one. You ready? Here's the easy one. I failed. Even when I didn't fail, I failed. Well, how's that work? Because everything rises and falls on leadership. The buck stops here. I promised you when I came here, first of all, I will fail you. And I do. Second of all, if I know it, I'll own it, and I'll make it right, and I do. I'm a work in progress, just like everybody else is here. And there may come a point that I do it enough times, come up short enough times, that it's time to look at somebody else. As long as I'm here, all I know to do is to dust myself off and try again. See, the just man, according to the word of God, falls six times and gets up seven. So here is our focus. Me and Brother Davies and Brother Thompson will lead the way, but we're going to need everybody to help us. Here's the first one. In ministry construction, we begin with the building of prayer. The building of prayer. I'd like for you to note a date 
Put it in your phone, write it down on a bulletin or something, I don't know, whatever. February the 11th. February 11th is a Saturday. I did not find anything on the calendar that conflicts with this, so I think we're good. February the 11th is a Saturday at 6 o'clock. We have our first prayer meeting here at the church. We will then schedule, and I'm not putting an exact, I'm not saying quarterly or weekly or monthly. We're going to see how God leads. But we're going to be, begin to schedule cottage prayer meetings. We'll find people that are willing to let us come to their home. And we'll have a time of fellowship, maybe some snacks. And then we will get about the business of praying together. The first one's February the 11th. Secondly, it's time to build our outreach. Now, we're going to look and ask God for wisdom as to how this takes form. There's going to be some measure of door-to-door. We're going to incorporate the bus ministry somehow, whether we run it on Sundays or Wednesdays, I don't know. As much as I can't stand social media, the fact is the people today communicate through social media, and I need to use it to get to people. So we're going, to up, we're going to up our game on social media and the internet. I've already begun recording podcasts. We stopped our radio program. We, we were paying $100 a week for it, and I had nothing to tell me that it was getting anywhere. Podcasting on the whole is free. And it gets out there a lot farther. So I've begun, I've begun recording podcast episodes to come out at a minimum of three times a week trying to get the gospel and, and, and scriptural help to people, as many people as we can. Well, are there people going to come to our church? That's not what it's about. It's about getting the word out. And if, and if, and if that podcast finds its way to somebody's computer in, in Botswana and they come to Christ, guess what? Good thing. They may never darken the door of this church, but if they got saved, it did what it's supposed to do. And so we begin building our outreach again. As I say this next thing, I don't want it to be interpreted as that I am dissatisfied or unhappy with any of our Sunday school teachers. I'm not. But we need to really take a hard look at how we do Sunday school. What can we do to build our Sunday school classes? Because generally speaking, now there's a couple of exceptions for job and health reasons, but generally speaking, if somebody comes to church for Sunday school, they stay for the morning worship service. And if you look at it, if you look at it, you want to build a church, build your Sunday school classes. And Sunday school is more, and and once again, I thank God for our Sunday school teachers, but you and I have both been in situations, and we've seen it, that Sunday school was nothing more than hand me my monthly thing from regular Baptist Press or whoever, and I'll look it over, and I'll keep the kids in line, and that'll be that. No, it's much more than that. It's building relationships. It's knowing, it's knowing what's going on in their lives. It's basically pastoring that class, right? And, and I thank God, we've got great Sunday school teachers, but we're going to sit down and I'm going to say, what, what tools do you need? What things can we implement, implement to help you grow your class? Because we grow these classes. We build these classes. We build the church. Ideally, you know, what you, you, you know what we want? We want these classes to grow and have to split. What? Yep. Church splits? Nope, but I want class splits. 
Because what happens is, if it gets too big, then it becomes the first preaching service. But what Sunday school is meant to do, it is meant to, it is meant to on a, in a pointed way, infuse the Word of God in people's direct situations. And these classes get more and more specialized. And these relationships get more and more close. And by the way, it gives people opportunities to grow into roles of teaching Sunday school class and exercise their spiritual gifts. Again, let me make this very clear. I'm not complaining about our Sunday school teachers. They're doing great. If they weren't, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. But if we can get better, and if we can do more, then let's build. Letter D is all on me. Silvertones, you're not forgotten. And I'm taking it as my personal responsibility to bring it back to where it needs to be. Activities. But not only that, we have got to find a way to have a support network in place that helps folks as they get older. Now, let me, let me give you a minute. Do you mind if I go over just a tad? Let me give you the Bible, and then let me give you where we're at. The Bible does not place nearly the responsibility on the church that the culture does when it comes to caring for people. That's the truth. And yet, if the expectation is there and the opportunity is there, then we should, right? It always, it, it always has, over the years, has been interesting to me. The people most in need seem to be the ones with the most family around. Well, that's a reality. So what do we do? Ah, call, call your kid. No. We help where we can. But that requires everybody helping. There's people that need rides to doctor's appointments. There's people that need grocery runs. There's people that need cards. There's people that need encouragement. There's people that need to be looked in on. Now, there's another side to that coin. Don't take advantage of it. If somebody gives you a ride to the doctor, that's not the time to go all over creation and do everything. Right? And that happens sometimes too. But wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we had an organized, set-up situation to where nobody falls through the cracks? Boy, it's gotten quiet in here. But at the very least, we can get some activities going, some meals going, and get our silver tones up and running again. They voted to change the name like two years ago. So we need to get on that, I guess, too. Some of the names are some of the suggested names are really interesting, by the way. My wife, Mrs. Branson, and others have also begun work on some ladies' ministry things. And that's really important. And I'm excited to see what's coming up. In fact, they were talking to me about some dates the other day. I'm excited about that. Number six, we need to build our prayer ministry, outreach ministry, Sunday school, Silvertones, ladies' ministry. But number, number six, we need to build our men. 
Don't take this the wrong way. If you're not careful, church can become really, really feminine. You can. I appreciate the decor. It, it's great, and I got no, no problem with it at all. But I can tell you, most men in this church care nothing about the decor. That's for the ladies. I'm pretty sure if I, if I came to Bruce Shelton and said, we're thinking about just doing away with flowers on the communion table. Well, that's it. I'm not coming back. <laughs> I live for those flowers. And even in our terminology, which isn't wrong necessarily, but when we're, when we're meeting with some, some fellow that we want to see come to Christ, and we ask him, do you want a relationship with Jesus? Somebody who's unchurched and very masculine, a what? We've even let our terminology get a little feminized, haven't we? I understand what it means, and that, that's a true statement, but if, if we want this church to be all that it can be, we've got to turn the tide that you see in so many churches where the ladies outnumber the men three to one. We need men. We need to reach men. We need to build men. I almost had the name ready tonight, but I've second-guessed myself. But I have a name for it. And you're going to get your own slide. I am working in Adobe Photoshop and all that as we speak. Trying to learn Photoshop. Prayer breakfast, targeted outreaches and activities. Fellas, we need to go out and shoot some guns. And we need to eat meat. <laughs> and we need to be free to just, you know, be men. Fellas, sometimes you just got to have somewhere to hide, to recover. And we need to see that men can embrace and men can weep and men can pray and men can lead. Yeah. And that involves leadership training. Every man in here, including me, has something we can learn. So let's learn. Personal construction. Family construction. Ministry construction. And there's a fourth one. Physical construction. What I'm about to say is not a prophecy, it is not a proclamation, it is not a pastoral edict. What I'm about to say is a prayer. It is my prayer, it has been my prayer, and it will be my prayer that we break ground on the Family Life Center this year.
I got to be super careful, y'all. The mark of a false prophet is to pronounce something as being the word of God and then it not. That got you stoned or even burned in the Old Testament. Thankfully, we're under grace. But I take it very seriously when I tell you what I believe the leading of God is. And, and you, might, you might have the thought, well, Andy, if we never get it built, I mean, does that really mean that, that you know, you were a bad pastor? And the answer is yes. Because if I present it to you, what I believe to be the leading of God, and then it doesn't happen, at best, I was grossly wrong, and I've eroded some of your trust. Let me back up. Maybe that doesn't mean a bad pastor, but a flawed pastor, which I'm already that, so we got that covered. Y'all, I believe with all of the sanctified part of my heart that I can that God wants us to build it. Believe it. I got no idea how we're going to pay for it. I've got some ideas that we can do using social media and using the internet. Not begging people for money. I'm not looking to do that. But do you think it hurts anything to make sure everybody out there is praying? Do you think it's wrong for me to reach out to my pastor friends and not ask for a dime but say, would you pray? And if I've got people all over this country and, yea, all over this world that know that this is what we're asking God for and everybody's praying, surely that's going to do something. So how do we do that? We get the message out. We put a good video together of what we're trying to do and what we believe God's leading us to do. And we put it everywhere we can and ask people to pray. And when it happens, we say as we always have, this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. But I'm going to tell you, I'm praying, and it may be December 31st, but I'm praying that in the year 2023, we gather on that hill and we spray paint some shovels gold for reasons I never understood why. And we put shovel to dirt. And we break ground on the Family Life Center. What happens if we don't, Andy? Try again. But here's what I know I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I'll fill it. An area like ours, you tell somebody two to two and a half million dollars, and they're like, I was talking to a friend of mine, a a, a principal friend of mine in northern Virginia, and he was asking me how much we were looking at, and I said two, two and a half million. He said, my soul, I couldn't build a classroom building for less than four here. It just sounds to me like you're getting a pretty good deal. I agree. But great deals don't mean a thing when you don't have the cash, do they? It'd be a wonderful thing if I could buy a brand new truck for $20,000. 
except I ain't got $20,000 I can let go of. I'm not saying I don't have it, but I can't let go of it on a truck. My wife would kill me. Kids got to go to college on something, don't they? They can go to college in a truck. William Carey, father of modern mission, said this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Because nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. Beloved, this isn't just good work. It's God's work. I'm asking you to strengthen your hands. I'm asking you to prepare yourself inwardly and gather what you need outwardly. And let us come together and rise up and build.